Good morning, Westridge. Uh, Before we jump in, I just got to tell you how excited I am to be here with you. Today, my wife Alexis and I are actually celebrating our fourth wedding anniversary. Um, I'm also getting to celebrate my third anniversary here at the church, and they are finally letting me preach. So I'm stoked to be here with you. Um, So yeah, let's dive in. Have you ever had someone in your life who answers questions with questions? I've had a few teachers throughout my life who did this, and it was always kind of maddening. I would ask a question expecting a simple, straightforward answer, and then I would get asked about the question I had just asked. So while teachers like that sometimes drove me nuts, I really did learn a great deal more from the question askers than from the answer givers. So today I have the privilege of kicking off a series of the parables of Jesus that we're calling Tell Me a Story. In the next eight weeks, Lance and Danielle and Greg will all be teaching through some of the parables Jesus told in the Gospels. And now a parable is really just a short story designed to illustrate an important lesson or truth. Jesus used them often as a preferred teaching method of his, and often in response to a question. He knew that stories have a way of subtly but powerfully shaping how we look at and understand the world and our place in it. His parables always involve relatable, ordinary, everyday elements of life, and he often used the shock factor of an unexpected ending to drive home his point. So the parable we're going to be looking at this morning is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and I invite those of you who have uh, Bibles or Bible apps on hand to open up to that passage and read along. And feel free to follow along in the notes section of the Westridge app as well. But here's how our story begins in Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So a religious expert asks Jesus what he has to do to get into heaven. Rather than answering the question himself, Jesus basically says, you're the expert, you tell me. He answers correctly by naming the two greatest commandments, which coincidentally sum up the entirety of the law in the Old Testament. And in response, Jesus says, great job, you've answered your own question. But he wasn't satisfied with that answer. He wanted to know who actually counted as a neighbor so that he knew who exactly he didn't have to bother loving. And he's probably expecting a simple, straightforward answer like, your fellow Jews, of course. But Jesus, sensing an opportunity, answers his question with a story. So picking up in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
so too a Levite, when he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So a man has been badly hurt, and he's likely to die if no one helps him. He is profoundly vulnerable because of the wounds he has sustained, and he cannot help himself. Three people traveling along the same road encounter this man, and two of them, a priest and a Levite, see the man and then put as much distance as possible between their path and his body. Now, Jesus only gives details that are important in stories like these, so the roles that these two men hold matter in this story. These are both people that even our religious expert would have held a great deal of respect for. Anyone could learn the law and become a teacher, but you had to be born into the right family to be a priest or a Levite. These men have privilege, and they were held in such high esteem that most people hearing this story would have simply assumed that whatever they did was the right thing to do in that situation. After all, according to the religious law of the land, they had actually kept themselves pure by not touching the potentially dead body of this man on the side of the road. And it wasn't their problem anyway, right? Wrong. Cue the unexpected plot twist, a Samaritan. Now, to understand why this man is such a shocking element in the story, you need to know that Jews hated Samaritans. And when I say hated, I mean hated like a racist white Southerner in the 1960s hated black people. Samaritans were viewed by Jews as less than. Though they shared common ancestry, Samaritans had long ago mixed with other people groups, something considered traitorous in the Jewish religion of that day. So Samaritans were segregated into a patch of land where no Jew would ever willingly go. They would actually rather cross the Jordan River and go around if they needed to go north than go through Samaria. It was a bad neighborhood. And over time, Jewish hostility towards Samaritans morphed into basically the ancient equivalent of racial prejudice. So the Samaritan, he comes across the vulnerable man on the side of the road, and what does he do? The exact opposite of the two highly respected religious leaders. Instead of moving as far away from the man as possible, the Samaritan moves in close. But why? If you've got your Bibles handy, take a look at the end of verse 33. Jesus tells us that the Samaritan, when he saw the same man as the other two, was moved by compassion. Your translation might say took pity or had compassion, but these don't quite do justice to the Greek word behind them. What that word, splanknizomai, gets at is a deep, physical, gut-level reaction that moves someone to action. It's the kind of feeling that's so powerful, you can't feel it and not act on it. And it's the turning point in the story, that one word. So the Samaritan, seeing the man, is moved by compassion. 
Instead of physically moving further away, his compassion compels him to move in closer, so close that he enters directly into the mess that is this dying man's life. Despite the danger to himself of suffering the same fate as the man before him, he takes the time to bandage the man's traumatic injuries, probably getting blood on his own clothes in the process. He takes the oil and wine that he had brought with him for his own journey and perhaps even to sell and pours them out to soothe and to cleanse the wounds of this complete stranger. He lifts the man up to be carried by his own ride. He brings him to safety and he even stays with him through the night to care for him. Then the next day he gives the innkeeper a large cash advance and makes arrangements to pay the entirety of this uninsured man's medical bills personally. And he does all of this, neither asking for nor expecting anything in return. And friends, if this isn't a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. Jesus might as well be explaining what he himself did on our behalf. We had fallen into the hands of a robber, a thief, who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And when we were broken and dying because of our sin, vulnerable and unable to help ourselves, he, moved by his compassionate love for us, left heaven to enter into our mess. It wasn't his problem, but he made it his problem. He didn't just bandage our wounds. He was wounded for us. He allowed his own blood to be shed on our behalf. And he remains with us by his spirit to continue to work his healing into our lives. He paid the debt for our sins himself. But back to the story. Having finished the parable, in verse 36, Jesus asks the religious expert a very different question than the expert had asked him. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the question we're faced with from this story is not, who is my neighbor? Anyone you cross paths with can be your neighbor. Your neighbor might not even be someone you would normally be inclined to like. The word neighbor literally means one who is near or close by. So when Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? The clear answer is the only one who literally moved nearer to the wounded man. So the real question for us here is, am I a neighbor to others? If you want to be a loving neighbor, as Jesus commanded, there are really three things this story pulls out that you need. Number one, you have to see your neighbor rightly. Number two, you have to move toward your neighbor with compassion, even if it's someone you might not like. And number three, use what God has given you on behalf of your neighbor. Just as the Samaritan used what he had to meet the need of the neighbor in front of him, we can do the same. If you have patience, use it to love the difficult people in your life. If you have wealth, use it to lift up the poor. If you have privilege, use it to combat prejudice and pursue justice for the oppressed. When it comes to stories, it can be incredibly helpful to consider who we find ourselves most identifying with in them. 
You can actually learn a lot about a person by finding out which character they most identify with in a story. So who best represents you in this story? Not who you want to identify with, because obviously we all want to be the Samaritan. But if you're really honest with yourself and with God, where do you fit in? Are you the wounded man on the side of the road and in need of care? Are you the privileged person who avoids uncomfortable encounters with the pain of others? Are you the religious expert trying to justify your lack of love for others? Or are you even the Samaritan at times? If I'm honest, I've been all of the above. On my better days, I can truly say that I have acted like the Samaritan, but more often than not, I haven't. I've tried to justify my lack of love for people I just don't like or care to know. I've been the relatively privileged individual who has seen a homeless man in need and then gone out of my way to avoid him, even crossing to the other side of a street in order to do so. Lately, though, I would say that my experience is more closely aligned with the wounded man. So at the end of 2019, my wife was deeply traumatized as she witnessed someone she loved pass away tragically. This was so devastating for her that it blew both of our lives up. And in the months that followed, we experienced more than a few instances of someone uh, seeing our pain and then deciding to keep a safe distance, sometimes even passing by on the other side, so to speak. But I can't fault anyone for that because if I'm honest, I've spent most of my life doing the same. But as it happens... Our Good Samaritans were a couple that came from an unexpected source. Kathy was one of the first people on the scene to pick my wife up after what had happened and to bring her home. Tom and Kathy would call us just to pray over us. They invited us into their own home and spent evenings with us when we could barely find it in ourselves to leave the house for anything. They entered into our trauma and our pain and they walked through it with us. And I will forever be grateful to them because they were the literal hands and feet of Jesus to us in those first few months. So Westridge, we can be that for our neighbors, but we're going to have to broaden our definition of who our neighbor is. There are young people in and around our community who feel like they have no adults in their lives who truly see and care about them. Will we go out of our way to build relationships with them so that they know that they are seen and known and loved. There are grieving people in our community who feel neglected and alone. Will we mourn with those who mourn even when it's messy and uncomfortable? There are people of color in and around our community who have been treated unfairly and unjustly simply on account of the color of their skin or their country of origin. Will we get close enough to understand their experiences and then fight for justice on their behalf? When we see pain and woundedness and vulnerability in another person, will we move further from or closer to them, even close enough to enter into their own mess ourselves? Let's pray. Father, may we see our neighbors as you see them, May we be moved by compassion toward them 
rather than moved away from them. May we spend what we have, meager though it may seem, on their behalf when we do, loving generously and extravagantly as you yourself did. Lord, may those of us who are hurting know the truth that you are close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. The only reason we are able to love at all is because you first loved us. So may we learn more and more what it truly means to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.